0: Andrew, if your dad was here, what would you say to him?
1: Go to your doctor. <laughs> go, go, go to your doctor, man. Uh, we should. We, we should. I, I think in this in this country, like cause men, like love sports. We should say, hey, you're not allowed to watch any sports. Like we should like strike up a deal with like all of like networks <laughs> and say, hey, no sports, no fun activities until you go to your to go to your doctor's.
0: Hey, JKP crew. I'm so excited for y'all to get to know Andrew. He is the CEO of Live Chair Health, and it's a community healthcare platform. Andrew's such a relaxed, chill, straight shooter. I really enjoyed getting to know him. He tells me about what growing up on the South side of Chicago was, how he came into entrepreneurship, how important his dad was in his life, and what losing him was like how he's processed that, and what he would say to his dad today. Really important listen for everyone and especially men in terms of healthcare and how precious it is for each of us. Enjoy. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Jennifer. Nice to meet you. It's great to meet you. I usually ask all our guests if they have an item of comfort. I am taking this from my living room. You can see my plants in the background, which make me feel just so relaxed. And I'm just curious, what your item of comfort is?
1: So I am a man of faith, uh, but I didn't bring my book that brings me comfort. But today I did bring um, my tea. I am an avid tea um, drinker, uh, specifically loose leaf teas. I do like bag teas for travel, um, and I'm still steeping uh, tea right now because I just got a fresh batch. So your fancy my you got item the- of
0: you got the loose leaf with the teaspoon, the, the fancy spoon. I love it. My brother's like yeah. that
1: too. Yeah, I'm a pretty, pretty, try to be pretty <laughs> healthy and, and live what I what I preach or what we uh, offer to people.
0: Yeah. And I'm really stoked to get to learn all about it today. Wanted us to get started, Andrew, with taking it all the way back to where you got started in life. So where you grew up and what those formative moments were for you that formed you into the Human being that you are today in adulthood, so let me yep. start by asking, what was growing up like for you?
1: Yeah, for me, uh, I would say it's very tough. I mean, I grew up on the south side of Chicago, and if you do any you know Google researching or YouTubing, you'll understand that the challenges growing up um, in, in those neighborhoods. So we, we being my siblings, we saw all of the activities that that surrounded us, um, but I think our our parents did a really good job of inculcating us and, and putting a, a shield um, around us so that we wouldn't make a foray into those activities um, like yeah. many of our friends unfortunately did. And so it was really tough growing up. So anything that you would think of, of people that um, are raised in, in, in specifically the South Side or even the West Side of Chicago, um, I experienced. And then um, unfortunately, we, so we, Moved to Atlanta, Georgia. I didn't know at the time why we were moving to Atlanta, Georgia, but it was because I came to find out that my dad um, was getting indicted and went to ended up going to uh, federal prison. So I think for me, you know, not having my father during those very formative years in, in high school, mm-hmm. and as I'm, you know, becoming a, a young man, um, playing sports, looking to get that kind of assurance and. Uh, kind of guidance that that parents are supposed to to foster uh, that was very challenging, but it uh, really taught me the ability to be a go-getter and to not let any impediments stop me from getting to the goals that that I set for myself. so yeah, uh, I' to say those things.
0: Yeah. And as you're describing growing up in the south side of Chicago, I'm, and you're saying whatever folks may be envisioning, I'm picturing lots of drugs, gun violence, and just needing to grow up in an environment like that. And what I'm drawn to is what you were saying about how your parents were able to shield you from that. What, in hindsight now, for parents listening, was helpful for you growing up? With What did your parents do?
1: Yeah. So as I alluded to earlier, um, you know, faith, played a a huge part of keeping us out of certain environments. Um, You know, one of the the activities that's very prominent on the south side of Chicago is is gang violence. I grew up in the Roseland um, neighborhoods in what's called the hundreds. Um, So, you know, on this alleyway versus this alleyway, you know, they had competing gangs, right? And my Mm -hmm. dad actually had, um, you know, stints with with gangs during his formative years and teenage years as well. So he was able to help... um, you know, tell those folks to not have those activities um, happen mm-hmm. ar- around our house. And so that that was one thing um, to, you know, keeping us in church. And so naturally just being in that environment kept us off the streets. And then three uh, sports. So sports was an outlet. I was actually a much better baseball player than I was basketball, although I ended up getting the basketball scholarship. Um, although my dad, I will say, my dad. Uh, my first job out of college was with the Houston Astros, and mm-hmm. my dad told me once I um, mentioned to him that I landed a job with the Houston Astros, that he told he said, "I knew you would always end up in baseball," and so yeah. I didn't end up in baseball uh, as a professional athlete, but I ended up in the major leagues in the front office. So I thought it was a very cool moment.
0: That's awesome. It's also so nice to end up in. An industry that you feel really passionately about. Was there anything around like not playing basketball but playing baseball in the black community?
1: So in in Chicago, the, the leagues were very very prominent. You had the Jackie Robinson League. There was a couple other leagues I can't escape to me right now. Uh, but I, like we grew up on baseball. Uh, my first mm. major league baseball experience was actually at the, Com- the old Kaminsky Park. Uh, Frank Thomas, uh, I think Robin Ventura, he was a third baseman, and a couple of – maybe uh, Ozzie Guillen, um, They sponsored our Little League team to come wow. to Kaminsky Park. Um, so that was my wow. like first uh, uh, baseball experience. And I just like fell in love with the game of baseball. It was like, I don't know, maybe between five and eight or some, some age in between there. And fell in love with the with the sport of baseball. And then, uh, fortunately, I became a Cubs fan. Oh, you don't think about <laughs> Uh, Chicago baseball. You know, obviously the yeah. Sox and Cubs are our rivals. Um, and that was very, it was, it was very interesting and, and and weird for me to be a Cubs fan because the Cubs are on the north side, the Sox are on the south side. Literally, I don't know twenty or so blocks from you know where we yeah. hung out.
0: Yeah. So you are pursuing your own path from a very young age.
1: Yeah. No. I mean, I was I was always just hustler so to speak uh, a go-getter just relentless pursuer of um you know my goals and my dreams nothing was going to stop me from getting to where I needed to be whether it was you know not having you know um you know adequate money because you know, our mm-hmm. parents had challenges growing up on the south side of Chicago having six kids and not being able to pay bills and um, taking cold showers in the winter time because you know your your gasket gets cut off I mean it was yeah it was very tough but uh I think I wouldn't trade. I wouldn't go back and redo it because it formed me into the man um, that I am today. So I really resonate with some things that you're saying,
0: Andrew. I grew up in Sierra Leone in West Africa. We grew up during a war. It's the seventh poorest mm-hmm. country in the world. We also didn't have hot water, uh, and a lot of these things have formed a ton of resilience in me. And so I'm so curious. For you where do you feel this go-getter-ness and resilience really comes from if there are any experiences or if you have a sense
1: of where that evolved from in you i think my my dad i mean i can recall one time walking uh, my you know i don't know how he did it but you know we didn't have money and it was my birthday and he really wanted to me to get um these Deion sanders shoes they were like um you know the prize possession or in the south side of chicago and remember it was like snowing and it was my birthday and he came back and you know he got me those shoes and so I don't know how he did it I never got to ask him Um, unfortunately he (laughs) passed away at 56 in 2020 but um you know those traits fell down to me and I think my dad was definitely um, someone I I looked up to and um, just given that his background and his upbringing wasn't most favorable either. And so uh, although he had those challenges, he didn't let that stop him from um, having some success in life uh, towards, the, yeah. towards the end of his life.
0: It definitely comes out so clearly how much you look up to him. Hmm. Did you want to share anything further about him and his background?
1: Yeah. So obviously he grew up on the South Side of Chicago as well. Um, so he didn't graduate uh, high school, although he was a uh, pretty for my mother's recollection he was a pretty good uh, football and my uncle as well he was a really good football player and could have had a shot but again the, the street life and you know getting caught up in um, activities just prevented him from taking that that leap I think uh, which naturally had additional dominoes um, you know as, as he as he grew older that, myself and my siblings had to reap the ramifications of those decisions and, and you know, his choices. Right. So, yeah. uh, I'll, despite that, I mean, he was a wonderful father. Um, he provided for us and uh, my, my four sisters and my brother, he passed away a couple of years ago as well. Um, but he was always there. And that's, that's one thing I can say about my father, although there wasn't, you know, always uh, the best, circumstances from living and financial and all those things, but he was always present. And so um, that's what I like to say about our father. And then also when he went to federal prison after we moved to Atlanta, Georgia. How old were the you rest- then, Andrew? Were you um, school, So we you moved said? to Atlanta, Georgia uh, at the start of my high school. So I was about 15 um, mm-hmm. at the time we moved to Chicago. And then the following year is actually when, um, you know, the feds came and you know he went off to prison. He did a total of about 18 months, I think my mother said. Um, I th- mm-hmm. th- think that's what I remembered as well. Um, so, yeah.
0: And you were going to say one thing about him, even when you had moved to Atlanta, is?
1: Oh, yeah. So if you think about how some of his traits of resiliency and the go-getterness um, um, you know, fell down, like, you know, the apple falls, doesn't fall too mm-hmm. far from the tree, how that actually showed up in my life is actually when he was in prison. I uh, play AAU basketball, and so the team that I joined w- w- was literally on the opposite side of of Atlanta, made in, with Atlanta traffic. I don't know, probably like a two hour, two and a half hour trip. And so my mother, given that my dad was in prison, wasn't able to, you know, take drive me to practices, you know, midweek when you know she had four girls uh, to to attend to and uh, yeah. and provide for right because my dad was in prison. And I just found a way. And so what I did was I realized that there was a local bus station, uh, you know, about 10 minutes, five, 10 minutes from our house. So I told myself I can get my mom to drop me off at the bus station. That bus took me downtown uh, to Mid-Atlanta. So I got on the train station, went up to Doraville, got off, the, which was the closest stop to my coach's um, home. And his brother, who I played, my best friends, uh, we play AU basketball with. He would pick me up from the train station, and then we would drive up to that uh, practice site. And I think it was like Centennial or something like that. Um, and so yeah. again, just an exa- example of not letting any challenges get in my way of you know getting to where I needed to be.
0: Yeah, and I see the determination, and focus, and no challenge is gonna stop you in your eyes right now as you're talking about it.
1: Yeah, um, I also have uh air in my lungs, and and I'm uh, the Creator gives me time on this earth. I, I think anything can be accomplished. Not in that you know, I don't. I don't think you can be five two and play an NBA, right? Not not in that yeah. sense, right? But you know, there are some things that are achievable for anyone. Um, you know, if they're willing to go get.
0: Yeah, and it just makes me think about how I think we. <laughs> maybe look at challenges as, oh no, we get stressed out about them. And it's so beautiful to, to see how a challenge has made you so much stronger. And I totally agree with, I feel the same with my experiences growing up. they have given me so much perspective and I wouldn't really trade my upbringing for the world. It's made me who I am today.
1: And yeah,
0: it's not that they're not hard periods to go through, but they really do, they are character building in a way that's really valuable.
1: Yeah. I was just going to say that like trials build character and you know, care. Uh, also through those trials build patience and endurance, right? So like, again, I, I wouldn't, you know, I'm not like it's j- not, jumping we're not for joy, right? like, oh, I went right. through the we struggle. <laughs> like, it's not like a badge of honor. It's just, yeah. you know, uh, you can't choose the cards that, that are dealt. And so you have to yeah. play the hand um, that you have.
0: Yeah, and you can just see the there's something to appreciate in it, made you who you are today. So I'm hearing some of the formative moments for you, loud and clear, Andrew. This may be when you were five or six, when these baseball players came and got you so excited about baseball. I'm obviously hearing the threat of your dad throughout your upbringing. He got you these shoes, showed you resilience, reliability, uh, hard work, and then I'm hearing a lot of your playing sports in high school as well. Where did your knack for entrepreneurship come from?
1: Uh, <clears throat> desperation. So, so growing up in Chicago, I, there was a, a penny store, as we used to call yeah. it. It's, basically, it's a candy store, um, like on like corners in, in the hood. Uh, yeah. So what I did and what my, my parents helped me do was like, hey, if you want to you know, earn money for this and this, then you need to you know, make a way, which is the theme yeah. of what I've been saying so far. And so I packaged up, you know, candy like penny candy, Chico sticks was a big thing in, in Chicago, et cetera, et cetera. And I sold that in school during, like, you know, r- you know, playtime, recess, um, inter- intermissions, et cetera, et cetera. And that's how I, you know, earned money. So from a very young boy, I think that was like fourth grade, fifth grade, fifth, mm-hmm. probably between third and fifth grade, <clears throat> that was like my starting point of like entrepreneurship. And then even in college, you know, I did some things on the side to. Generate income right I don't come yeah. from a safety net, so I couldn't tap on mom and dad to say, Hey, I need you know x, although they did you know at times you know provide funds but uh you know when you're playing basketball uh in college and you know you're you're a growing boy you need you need to eat right those calories mm-hmm. you lose calories pretty fast when you have five thirty three <laughs> practices individual weights et cetera et cetera um and so from college experience doing things on the side, I launched into Kind of a cosmetic brand that was started by my late grandfather. So even taking it yeah. further, like my grandfather had this cosmetic product that he uh, had patented and et cetera, et cetera. So I jump started that once I was working with the Houston Astros, and then, um, yeah, just kind of.
0: Transition. And today, here we are. You're the founder and CEO of Live Chair Health. And I love the community aspect of providing healthcare to folks Mm -hmm. and incorporating folks that you see on a day-to-day, like your barber. Mm -hmm. But we know that you unfortunately suffered the loss of your dad, which Mm -hmm. caused you to pivot. And so if you're okay with it, I'd love to start with where you had started with Live Chair Health before the healthcare pivot.
1: Yeah, so my co-founders and I, we had a pain point of mm-hmm. scheduling and and paying for haircuts. Right, this was back in the, the infant days before like scheduling and booking was a thing. There's a lot of platforms yeah, out I, there that have you know you know done a really good job. And so, yeah. 2015, 2016, my my good friend Michael Devore had like the original concept of like, uh, just like scheduling. And it was I think it was just like scheduling, right? And mm-hmm. so um i came on board 2016 and then we like really like jump started in 2018 brought on some other you know co-founders and we were growing this you know scheduling and payment it was a scheduling payment processing crm marketing tool etc etc it was really robust uh, at least at that time Uh, the systems that are out now are are just you know on a whole nother (laughs) level and so uh, we were building that. And then as we were building that platform, my, one of my co-founders, Dr. Peter Blair, was researching health disparities. And I think he did some work at Harvard where it said, you know, uh, you know engagement, low engagement for, you know, the population, African-American men that we were seeing again and again from our scheduling and booking tool, mm-hmm. looking at the data on the back end. And so we said to ourselves, you know, if health plans and health systems have a hard time reaching and engaging their population. Why not use the barbershops at the time as, as a bridge. And Mm -hmm. concurrently my dad's health was, was, was declining. And so he was going in and out of the hospital and, you know, I just looked at myself and, you know, my, my, my my team and I said, Hey, we we have to do this. Right. I think it was Mm -hmm. even like Dr. Blair, like really pushed me. He's like, Hey, like if we're not doing healthcare, like what, like what are we doing? Right. Yeah. And so I, Took a hard weekend, a long weekend to say, you know what, although our business is growing, like, I feel like this is the right thing to do. And it turns out there's a huge market for it, too, by the way. So we made a a pivot.
0: What I love about it, too, is the fact that you're solving a real problem in a market that you quite clearly understand. But before we go into, I want to learn all about what you're doing today with Life to Health. Let's talk a little bit about your dad and like every hero's journey, there is a tragedy and you lost your dad. What happened?
1: Yeah. So starting from from the roots, I would say uh, lack of preventative care to not go into your annual wellness visits, right? Mm -hmm. But waiting to, and this is common amongst black men, but I would just say men in general, Uh, waiting until there's some catastrophic episode to go to urgent care or the emergency So I'd say that's number one. Um, Lifestyle choices, right? You know, diet, exercise, taking care of your mental health, and it's, or managing stress. And it's hard when you're disadvantaged from an income standpoint and you have bills and you have now what they label social determinants of health. I don't know if that was uh, the label when he was growing up, but that's what he experienced, right? Childhood Mm -hmm. trauma, uh, very you know, tumultuous background uh, growing up. Um, it, and so, uh, so yeah, I would say those things, right? So some of the issues were self-inflicted, right? So not managing stress, inadequate eating and dieting, nutrition, right? Lack of exercise. And I think some of it was um, not getting care in the appropriate settings um, from a preventative standpoint and waiting too late after the condition had, you know, exacerbated. So I would say those two things um, wow. or three things would, would, would be the reason why I think his health declined. Was it cancer? No, he actually passed away from congestive heart failure. His, um, his heart okay. was operating. I think the last time I saw him was less than like 7%, and it was just a miracle that he lasted for as long as he did um, after like multiple stents um, with almost every imaginal specialist doctor, uh, you know, in, in the hospital. Uh, Mm -hmm. But he, you know, he lasted, I think maybe a year after one of his episodes. And, um, but yeah, when your heart is operating that low, it's, you know, yeah, it's only a matter of time. And it was,
0: we discovered it late.
1: Yeah, I I think we discovered it late. I don't, I don't know what, like, what he was doing when he was like 30 or like 27, Mm -hmm. but, um, the, the the time that I was in the house with him, um, I don't think I ever see my dad like work out and, Say hey, you know, let's let's drink some beet juice, right? Like I yeah. those
0: things. Happen. Hey, I don't even drink beet juice right now. So hey, if you get a
1: juicer, <laughs> you put an apple, a lemon, you, you won't even it's taste some it, beets. And, and you'll just get all okay. the beets. So okay, just just um, and it, that's that's free. So
0: yeah, I love that, and I love even going back to the beginning. You saying that you drink tea and you like to eat healthily, so incorporating all of that for ourselves. Mm-hmm. How was that for your family? How did you guys go through the grief and pain?
1: I didn't take as much time off to like really grieve and to like let the situation marinate in terms Mm -hmm. of like how it affected my psyche, how it affected my mood, how it affected my uh, response to people, et cetera, et cetera. Because, you know, we're running a startup, you're you're just going, going, going. And so I think that is a learning for me and other entrepreneurs to you know take time right take time and this is also why the team is important because you know during that period it really didn't have the the support system when we made the pivot just because we hadn't raised capital and people couldn't you know just mm-hmm. tap into their you know savings that they've had since two to like say hey I'm going to do this full time and so I had some corporate success and was able to do that but some of the other folks um, early in the journey wasn't able to do that and so Look, at, in hindsight, I wish I would have taken more time versus just kind of getting over it and um, jumping yeah. back into the, the hustle and bustle yeah. of running a startup in life. And so obviously my mom you know, took it the, the worst given that she's known my dad all his life, basically.
0: Makes sense. For some folks even, they prefer to just go get back into work and almost numb the feelings out and yeah. just move on. I think that's something that has served us in past of moving on with our lives, but there's also so much value to actually processing the feeling so we can let it go and, and grow from it. Do you feel like you now had a chance to
1: process? Yeah, I do believe now actually getting counseling, um, that, you know, anything you suppress, eventually there's going to be some trigger that elevates whatever you suppress. Um, because at the end of the day, we're not cogs, we're not machines, we're not Um, you know, chat GPT bots. We are human beings with emotions and feelings. And, and, and and I know feelings gets a negative word, but like, I'm actually realizing that that feelings really matter, especially now that I have, you know, two kids, I have a wife like that, that is extremely important, right? Because I, given my story, um, very like hard nose, hard worker, no excuses, but that doesn't always translate to, you know, running a successful household, right? You have to be attuned to your five-year-old's feelings. Um, and so, uh, I'm able to deal with it better now because I have, you know, received counseling, um, just wisdom and guidance for, uh, inner circle that, that I have that, that, um, hold me accountable and, and tell me, Hey, it's, it's okay to grieve. You know, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's a trade that can bring healing and I've seen it happen.
0: 1000%. I love this of, the only way out is through, and whatever we resist persists. And nice. if we don't take the time to process, it inevitably comes up. Like you mentioned having kids, and so I'm really glad that you are taking, You took the time to get counseling for others going through grief of a loved one that's really close. In your case, your dad was extremely important to you. What have you learned about grieving and healing that you can share?
1: Take, take the time. Right. Like actually take the time, whether that's a a week, a day, or like you know, best how much time is needed. As I mentioned, I didn't take the time. And so it had other ramifications that showed up in other areas. Two, one out of one people die. Right. And so death is a natural result of living on this earth. And so do all that you can. Right. You know, from healthy habits, um, you know, all the things that keep you here long enough, but, but realize that you know, there might be a a future where things get better, right? And so I I don't know how that manifests and shows up in someone's life, but um, maybe people gather around and say, hey, let's be more appreciative of, you know, our our family because we never know when they're, um, you know, when they're closer to the checkout line, so to speak, Mm -hmm. right? And so it could be, let me not harbor so much bitterness because, again, like who knows if, you know, Sally or Susie or whoever – It's going to get cancer. And then, you know, this is the last few moments that I have with them. And so I think death and grieving can bring about some of those potential outcomes.
0: And then also about feelings, you mentioned that feelings can get a negative rep, but you're seeing being a founder, CEO, and having a wife and kids that feelings are actually important.
1: What are you learning there? One of the things that's served me really well is uh, reading. Just an inordinate amount of emotional intelligence and so i think you know one of the things that you'll learn in iq uh, eq books is the ability to tap into your feelings right because if someone you know there there's an old adage that says you know sticks and stones may break my bones but words will never hurt me i think that's the biggest lie ever right um there are still things that impact me today for what someone said 12 years ago and so i'm very cautious with words and so Feelings, right? Like, hey, someone just said this to you. Like, how did that make you feel? And it's okay to be emotional. Now, it's not okay to use those emotions to destroy yourself because of choices you make because of what someone said, right? Uh, But address them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I would say really tapping into my feelings more than I ever thought I I would be. Um, Like, if I'm having a long work week. Right. Uh, And there's been challenges with, you know, the management team where like there's a fire tapping into like, hey, how does this week make you feel versus last week where those fires didn't come up? Taking inventory. Right. So I'm really taking inventory more because of this emphasis on uh, tapping into my feelings.
0: Yeah. And to build on that from my experience. I do hear about how feelings are a form of weakness, and you must power through and push through and be a brick and get through every situation. Uh, But for me, it feels like a source of strength of being able to connect with another human at work, for instance, of, hey, you may be going through something. How are you feeling? And how can you process that? And it gets you closer to this person. Or if you have a conflict with a co-founder or someone else, talking through it from a sense of openness. And there's a lot of courage in transparently sharing how something makes you feel can bring you really close together and open up a variety of possibilities in terms of solutions that you may not be as aware of. And then same in personal life with family, especially kids are so wonderful. They're just an open book, right? And then we somewhere learn to close off and shut down our emotions and our feelings. And I think kids are such a great teacher of, how being open and being just completely vulnerable is such a beautiful thing because you can share and folks can try and meet you where you're at. So to me, in my experience, feelings are a source of strength and being able to process them and figure out what's important and why to you.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, the person that says like feelings aren't important, just run through the brick wall, but like implicit in that statement is feelings, right? You're saying Mm -hmm. run through a brick wall because you feel some type of way about not running in to, in the brick right. wall right? right so if you like that really makes... dissect that statement even people that have that worldview as i as i would as i would term it um they're they're tapping into feelings as well they are just uh, you know maybe not tapping in, into the feelings from an emotional like lens right but they're still exhibiting feelings you can't escape it like you're you're a human like again you're not a you're not a bot right you're human like if you don't have feelings, then I can't even say you don't have. Everyone has feelings. It's just like, yeah. it's, a, it's a matter of how you actually allow feelings to influence your decisions, mm-hmm. is where it really gets murky, right? Um, because if you operate solely on feelings, you will lead, you, that, that will take you down the road to destruction, right? Because there's a lot of things I don't feel like doing. My, mm-hmm. Or let's go back to the yeah. children. My daughter, you know, she's five, or she's about to be six, about to be six. And she doesn't feel like going to school many mornings. Or should I just say, oh, okay, you can, because you don't feel like going to school, you can just stay here and not learn and get you, no, right? Like your feelings don't determine that. I understand how you're feeling this way because you're tired, right? Um, and, and I understand that. So maybe I'll put you to bed a little bit earlier, right? So you don't feel as tired the next morning, right? So like uh, express the feelings, address the feelings, and then um, you know have solve for the feelings is, is how I would look at it.
0: Great advice. Love it. Beautiful. All right. With that, shall we get back to live chair
1: health? Oh, live chair health. Forgot all about it. Sorry.
0: (laughs) I'm so excited to learn about where y'all have pivoted to. Tell us what you're
1: doing now. Yeah. So the original concept was training barbers to take blood pressure readings and like really using those, what we call liaisons as Mm -hmm. access points for African-American men at the time. Since Mm -hmm. You know, our original pivot back in 2020 wasn't the most opportune time to pivot, given that it was a uh, world pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> but we made the pivot nonetheless. And so now we actually have more beyond um, just barbershops. So we work with what I like to say is wherever people live, work, play. And as some people say like worship, et cetera, et cetera. That's where LiveShare Health sets up infrastructure. And then we use those channels as access points to uh, reach a hard to, to reach population, right? Most of the members that we're serving from health plans are some of their hardest to reach members or just members that are not engaged for, uh, for various reasons, right? It could be like distrust of the, the healthcare system, which, you know, mm-hmm. from an African-American standpoint, um, there are various uh, episodes in our country's history that um, does allow for that feeling, right? That, that someone has. And so, um, again, expanding our community hubs, also just expanding our infrastructure, right? So, we currently use what's called community health workers to augment these hubs, um, in addition to having a call center team, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then, just however, you know, people like to be reached, right? We don't really take a like monolithic approach that this is how you have to reach people because everyone is different, right? And so, our system now is really built from an omnichannel approach. And we've found that to be very uh, successful.
0: Where in the U.S. are you operating?
1: Currently, live in Maryland, uh, Los Angeles, and we are soon to be launching in Tennessee, uh, DC, and North Carolina. So those are the upcoming markets.
0: Awesome. And understanding, is it mainly preventative healthcare?
1: Yeah, I would look looking. So we bucket it in three pillars: so preventative, social, and administrative. So preventative, think of anything from annual wellness visits to preventative screenings, preventative you know, dieting and nutrition and managing mental health, right? Social. So a lot of, most of the population that we serve right now is purely Medicaid. And so there are social determinants of health barriers that keep people from taking that next step in their health journey. And so we try to close those social determinants of health gap differently than how some other platforms do it, uh, which is kind of part of our secret sauce. And then mm-hmm. administrative so helping plans um, recertify members now that's a benefit for the plan but the benefit for the member is if, let's take Medicaid for example if you lose coverage because you don't redetermine then um, you say you need care and you you're not uh, you know properly insured well now that bill that could have been subsidized it's now on your plate right to fund um, yeah. and there's there can be an a entirely a new episode around, uh, you know, medical mm-hmm. bills and and how that you know affects people's health, et cetera, et cetera. But, yeah,
0: I'm so curious to know what you're learning about the social determinants of healthcare and how we bridge that gap, particularly for underserved
1: communities. I, I think there is a misnomer in, in healthcare that you know people just don't want to do things, um, you know, but like that prescriptive is, is, I think, why we have the issues that we do in mm. our country and. and more poignantly in healthcare, and so if someone you think about it, right? If you have a single mother in you know an urban city that has two kids, she has a job, maybe two jobs, and the closest primary care provider is you know two miles off the the bus line because she doesn't have transportation. Like you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you think she's going to attend her PCP appointment when you know there's still you know inadequacy in food and maybe housing and some other challenges. Like, just no. And so learning that those drivers, honestly, um, I think it's been said, right? Like, your zip code is a predictor of your life expectancy more than, like, maybe any other, like, predictor. Mm-hmm. And so if we can address those social determinants of health, which we can. We have the money. We're spending money on, you know, a bunch of things. that yeah. are very useless, if I'm very frank. Uh, so we have the money to address these issues. It's really just a matter of, you know, like how much people care.
0: So if there are three things that... We can do to bridge this gap. What would they be?
1: You know, I think a lot of it does. You know, I don't want to say policy, but the, you mm-hmm. know, policies do impact uh, people. I mean, it, it just does, right? Um, so, I would say from a policy perspective, that's that's probably like a you know, meta thing that we you can't control with voting. But you know, what if your person doesn't get in office? So, I look at it on the micro, right? So, on the micro, you. Like mm-hmm. watching this video can be the catalyst for change in your neighborhood. And so think about serving at, you know, local nonprofits or uh, giving money to these nonprofits that, that are doing wonderful work that can bolster some of the services and, 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 and items that they have to provide for, for organizations. Um, uh, I, w- I, would say, I would say those two, right? So, uh, you know, macro, maybe policy voting. But because mm-hmm. you can't control who's in office, uh, micro, you can't control what you do, how you spend your time, how you spend your money and, and how you leverage your talents. So
0: Got it. And any particular services we want to make sure are more available with the NGOs, for
1: instance? I think food is, is key. Right. Um, given what I said earlier about kind of my uh, penchant for you know, teas and eating healthy mm-hmm. and even beet juice. Uh, I think, you know, there's one of our brain trust doctors that says uh, healthcare, like eating right or food is like king and then like exercise is queen and then everything else comes into play. But I think nutrition, exercise and diet is extremely important. So I would emphasize that mental health and um, economic upward mobility, the ability for people to climb up the economic ladder, because, you know, to be honest with you, I know there are challenges even when you look at, you know, higher income um, folks, Mm -hmm. right, that, you know, they're not taking care of their health. But, you know, when you have the means to at least not think about survival mode, you can, you know, spend more time on you know, taking care of your health. That makes a ton of sense. How about in community care? What are you
0: seeing as the biggest opportunities for community care and challenges for community care?
1: Yeah, so opportunities um, from a Medicaid standpoint, there's a lot of density in the neighborhoods because, uh, you know, most Medicaid folks live in the same They they live in the same area, Um, and so so that's number one, uh, which actually gives us incredible leverage to help us like scale up our operations. I think the challenge, um, honestly, I don't see that many challenges. And maybe I have to think about it a little bit more. You can get incredible from community liaisons and people that look and feel and talk like the folks that we're engaging. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that trust is is very important. So that's another like pro, you know, cons I think if I'm just talking about it from a lot health perspective, where people that have tried to do this in the, in the past is really scale. Like how do you like scale up these yeah. operations? And I do think we have um, cracked that nut.
0: So it sounds like there's opportunity here to reach folks who were so hard to reach before. Mm-hmm. And then the nut to crack is how do you implement the structures to have this be a consistent and stable infrastructure to scale?
1: Yeah, I mean, show, showing up frequently to where people live, work, play, pray, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, yeah. is, is is very important, um, and not just you know a lot of you know see a lot of organizations. I'll just use the word organizations that mm-hmm. attempt to do this, but it's so sporadic that it doesn't have the lasting impact, right? Yeah, versus it's not you know, consistent. Of, oh, yeah, it's not consistent, right? So you know, if 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 your husband right um, only sees you two times a month, and yeah. you know. Um, some other husband, you know, sees their wife, you know, 19 times a month or every day, right? Who do you think is going to have a, like a more ingrained and and loving relationship that galvanizes, um, that person to take that next action. Right. Um, so I I think a lot of organizations are kidding themselves that, um, you know, their, their outreach methods that haven't worked, right. are going to now, you know, work for, you know, some things like, um, some of the big healthcare issues.
0: Yeah. And then the, as you're saying that one thing that comes to mind is probably also cracking the nut of training, of training the barbers, training the folks at where you pray, training the folks at your gym, et cetera.
1: Absolutely. And so one of the things that we are trying to figure out is how, how do we get those certifications and credentials, um, for these kind of, you know, community liaisons where they can earn, mm-hmm. um, supplemental income. Um, because again, you know, there's opportunity costs if you're doing X, you can't do Y. And so we understand yeah. that there's opportunity costs, uh, which is why, you know, we staff up and augment a lot of these hubs with our, our, st- uh, our team currently. But there cool. is a lot of opportunities for training. And I think there's, like, reimbursements for, you know, some of these things um, that, that non-clinical kind of folks can do mm-hmm. that will have, you know, massive impacts across not just chair health, but, uh, you know, the healthcare system overall.
0: Yeah. Where do you see community health evolving into, like, if 10 years is too far down the line to predict or have thoughts about how about five years or two years
1: from now? Like community health, um, I Care. do think you can leverage. Think about like transportation, for example. If transportation is a barrier and you have, I don't know if I want to get this away because <laughs> the opportunity for us. But I'll share it because, you know, I I think competition is good. Um, and at the yeah, end of the day, healthy. someone still has to, like, execute on an idea. Like, ideas are dime a dozen, but execution is what matters. So I'll just say it, right? So you think about uh, transportation being a barrier in you know, low, low-income populations, but there's a plethora of telehealth solutions. So why not have, like, telehealth options at uh, underutilized spaces in the community where, you know, the, the single mother doesn't have to, Travel. you know, go down to get on a bus, get off a bus, you know, hour trip. Maybe she can go to this underutilized resource or space that's equipped mm-hmm. with telehealth and then they can, you know, has devices and all that and they can just get their care. They, being that that family and then other families in the community can just go like down the street, right, to get their care. So I think that's a <clears throat> huge opportunity. Um, cause the infrastructure is there from a telehealth perspective, right? There, again, there are so many companies out there that, that do this work. Um, so the infrastructure is there. And then I think too, uh, if we can improve, so our model is building stronger, stable, more healthier communities. Mm-hmm. I think like the economic upward mobility is very important, right? Um, you know, if you take someone living in, I don't know, like a black family living in Brentwood. California or yeah, California versus um, you know, West Baltimore, right? Those those economic factors are gonna drive health more than, you know, more than anything else, right? So I think that upward mobility is is very important to improve community care or you know, alleviate it or eliminate it, um, the, the problems we see within community care.
0: Yeah, and I see that being addressed both by a combination of government, organizations, folks like live chair health all coming together and getting integrated. I'm really excited for community healthcare. I think there is a big opportunity there to just meet more people where they're at as opposed mm-hmm. to expecting folks to make the time when we talk about how folks who are working multiple jobs don't have as much time and trying to just put food on the table or avoid dangerous situations depending on what neighborhoods they're growing up in. So very excited for for all of this. Folks can find you at Live to Your Health, the website. Yep. Anything else you want to shout out?
1: Yeah, so uh, www.liveshare.co is the is the website, um, and LiveShare INC is our our tag on all of our social media channels. So I uh, would definitely recommend and appreciate everyone follow us to stay up to date on all things LiveShare Health uh, as we come to a, a city near you.
0: Amazing. And then let's get it back to you, Andrew, before I let you go. So this hero has been through a lot. What's important to you these days?
1: Relishing in the beauty of the mundane. Um, Mm. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, people gripe about their kids complaining or like uh, groaning about X, Y, Z, fill in a blank, right? But, you know, one day, like, you're gonna be an empty nester and you're gonna wish you had more of those moments, right? And so, relishing in the fact that, you know, I'm blessed to have a six-year-old, you know, daughter that, that complains, right? And I get an opportunity to coach her um, and become a productive citizen that helps our our country and our society flourishes. Um, also, the beauty of appreciating the, the little things. So I was at a conference in Orlando last month. I de and I just lost hearing in my right ear. And so mm. it was so odd. I hadn't like no symptoms, nothing happened, like literally just lost hearing. So I chucked it up. To it may be being like air pressure or whatever the case may be. That wasn't the case. Went to an audiologist, had an exam. Audiologist recommended I see an ENT. Saw the ENT. He's like, hey, your, your ear's like basically dead. And so put me on some meds, thankfully. And shout out to, you know, modern med- uh, medicine and Providence. Um, I've started to retain my hearing, but it's still unintelligible Gosh. right now. And so just thinking about, you know, having a good ear that I can't hear out, right? Before, I never gave thanks to like it. being, being able to hear. Right. Because there are some people that are unfortunately aren't able to hear or taking a shower. Like I can reach underneath my arms and make sure I'm not passing funk to the community. <laughs> right. And like, but some, like some people can't do that. Right. And I know it's yeah. like, I'm just being a little humorous with it, but um, like really appreciating the the little things um, that have, you know, that makes life more jo- joyful because life isn't a party, you know, it, it isn't, you know, There is going to be boring days. There is going to be routine, rudimentary rudimentary things that that happen, uh, but it's just a part of the the journey of life.
0: I have a big smile on my face because I so agree with that. It's such an important reminder every day. The things we don't think about, like our
1: heart's beating. We don't
0: think about that. Yeah, because my dad's heart's not
1: beating right now, you know? And so I, I would love to have another 20 or 30 years with him to see him to see, for him to see me building this company or have him here to be able to, you know, inculcate and, uh, you know, help my sisters grow. Right. And so it's, yeah, yeah sorry to chime in, but yeah. No,
0: it's really, it's really important. And on that note, Andrew, if your dad was here, what would you say to him?
1: Go to your doctor, <laughs> go, go, go to your doctor, man. Uh, we should, we, we should, I, I think in this, in this country, like, men like love sports, we should say, hey, you're not allowed to watch any sports. Like we should like strike up a deal with like all the like <laughs> networks and say, hey, no sports, no fun activities until you go to your to go to your doctor, so you at least have a baseline, right? I don't think ignorance is bliss, right? You should know, you know, you should know, you know, what's happening to you. And there's like this myth, oh, I'm healthy. Like, how do you determine what's going on in, inside of your body? You don't, you don't. I yeah, have right? no idea. You have no idea. You, you, so anyway, that I will not get on that soapbox because. Uh, we'll extend this by another 15. That'll
0: be for another episode. Go to your doctor and your take care of your mental health and eat and make sure to yeah. sleep enough.
1: Yeah, right? and, and accountability, right? And so I think accountability is important because these things, like this is one uh, edict or exhortation that the person impacts is the person in the mirror, right? So it impacts immediately the person in the mirror, but think about how it impacts people around you if you don't do those things, right? So like my mother, for example, had to take care of my dad, take him on dialysis. Um, so there's cost to that, you know, right. um, uh, purchase additional medication, right? So there is a cost to being unhealthy, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, again, conversation for another day, but I'll yeah. be right there.
0: I want to, last question, how are you taking care of yourself and what can we all steal from you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of a maniac. So I don't. Uh, hey, <laughs> tell us being, though. Tell us. Yeah. Yeah. Walk us through your
0: day. You wake up at what time? What? Yeah. How do you exercise? What else are you drinking
1: besides beet juice? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. So <laughs> I I wake up every morning at at six thirty. Um, I do devotion. Uh, so it's the first mm-hmm. thing I, I do devotion, and meditation and prayer. Um, have my cup of uh tea. I specifically drink tea tea in the morning. And then um after I take my daughter to school around 720, I work out. Um I'm sorry, finish up devotion and then I work out. And then I typically start and in between this, right? I have this mobile device. So I'm like answering emails or checking Slack after yeah. my devotion time, right? So I'm yeah. like checking emails like in a carpool. While I'm just sitting there for 10 minutes. So I'm like checking Slack, talking to my daughter.
0: And then <laughs> once I get
1: home, I do my workout. So because if I don't do my workout, as the day gets going, I'm just not going to do it. So I, I do my workout. I work out five days a week. Um, Are you and, and strength, for,
0: running, cardio? I do hit.
1: I do 30 minutes a day. Hit cardio um, and, and weight training, which incorporates, you know, it's a 50 50. So it does hit and then weight training, and so mm-hmm. that takes care of my entire body. And then on Friday, I'll, I'll work out a little bit longer, and then from there. Um, I actually work when I'm working, so I don't. I'm not on social media. I'm not like I'm just glued to oh, my, my desk from like I don't know eight forty to until five ten. I go pick up my, my daughter and, and my son to give my wife a break, who um, you know is seeing patients all day, and um, then we have family time. So from I don't know five forty five to eight o'clock, like it's no work. Um, yeah. Family time. Helping uh, my wife get the kids ready for bed, and then, and then obviously we have we have a dinner in that in that time period. Then I spent some time with the wife, um, and I try to get down, get some more work done uh, to shut down around like twelve, like like twelve, like twelve o'clock, and try to get six to six to seven hour, six to seven hours of sleep. But I think it's important, right? Like if you actually work when you're supposed to be working, you can get a lot done, right? So. Um, I think my biggest, social biggest media hat. time is probably like two, like, I don't know, three minutes a day because like in transition, I'll like check in or something. Yeah. But it's like, I don't know. But on a weekend, obviously, uh, I take a, a Sabbath on, not because I'm a Jew or anything like that, but I just, Saturday is my day. Um, yeah. To so just rest. Great. I don't do not do any work. So no work on Saturday, full family time. And then Sunday, I'm, I'm, I'm back at it. So, you know, I was, the early days I was probably working I don't know, 90 to a hundred hours a week, like getting it started. So now I'm about around 60,
0: 70, yeah. but I try yeah. to
1: stay, I try to stay at the 60, 60 hours. Yeah. Cause I'm more, I more love efficient.
0: It. Yeah. I love it. It's I hard, love it. That, that was you're...
1: a long way with thing. With, no, that that's, that's was wonderful.
0: That's great. Yeah. I love that you're really balanced, right? You're taking care of your health, your personal health. You're taking yeah. care of making sure you're spending time with people you love. And then you're really focused when you're working this trick of just when you're working, you're working and no other distractions is so simple, really hard to execute, but so simple and so effective.
1: Yeah. I also
0: take a, a one day off, try to have no screen time. Uh, I think, on that I, think day. Everyone, I give my husband my phone. I'm like, don't give me the
1: phone. I think it is. I think it is wonderful for the soul, for the mental health and just for rejuvenation so that you can be your best self um, the next the next week. Also, you asked me about juices. Um, yeah, tell so me about I, food. Say so get food. Yeah, your diet. Yeah. So, I, um, food. So, I don't eat any sh- I don't consume sugar, um, no fried foods, no fast foods. Um, I try to stay away from anything frozen and, you know, eat very clean. Part yeah. of that was prompted because I was diagnosed with um, Crohn's disease like a couple years ago. Um, mm-hmm. I have a very malformed control, I think, because of my lifestyle. Um, um, so, that prompted me to like really kind of be even more uh, ex- extreme, so to speak but you know, I'm on a diet called the SCD. And so it is, mm-hmm. it is not for the faint of heart, right? It's called the SCD, but I will tell what you. What does it mean? SCD. Specific carbohydrate uh, diet. And so, um, so no carbs, um, no grains, no sugar, no fast food, no fried foods, right? So is it like keto? No, it's, it's, it's a little bit more intense than the keto. Um, okay. you should look it up. It's, Okay, Again, it's we'll not it for the fan of heart. A lot of a lot of the items you have to, uh, you know, you have to make yourself, right? And so my wife helps out a lot mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, instead of like uh, for uh, pancakes or waffles, I'll use almond flour with mm-hmm. honey and then a, a ripe banana and mix it up and then just put it on the, the grill. Oh, not the grill, the uh, skillet. The yeah, the skillet. Or- yeah, the waffle maker. <laughs> um, and then I'll I'll. Um, put honey right in a container and then melt it down and then add a little cinnamon, cinnamon yeah. and uh, yeah. vanilla extract, and then that's yeah. my, my syrup and my my sweetener. So
0: yeah, makes sense. Why no frozen food?
1: Um, the, check out the ingredients. Uh, if you check out but the ingredients, what about
0: like fr- you said, no sugar whatsoever, so no fruits, so you wouldn't well, need. Well, I'm sorry. Fruits.
1: Yes. So, yes. Because I eat a lot
0: of frozen fruit. That's why I'm asking.
1: No, no. So technically, yes. Fruit. Yeah. There is like natural sugar and fruit. So what I'd say like no sugars, like no cane sugar, no artificial sugars. Like my sweetener Mm -hmm. uh, for everything is is honey. And so Mm -hmm. it's not that I won't have like I'll cheat. Obviously, I'm not I'm not I'm not perfect. Yes. Um, So like I will have like, you know, sometimes I'll. Drive by a Krispy Kreme with my wife, and I say, "Hey, today is that day, right?" But you got to have that Today's balance. Got to have balance, and you know, look, I I like to drink spirits and and, and wine, right? But in, in moderation. So that's like my 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 caveat. Um, I like to do that, and you know, in moderation, right? And so yeah, that um that provides me like the fun things in life.
0: Yeah, life isn't a lab that's so sterile and perfect. Enjoy nah. sometimes. No, nah. you got to enjoy. So like
1: limits. those are those are my outlets right so you know glass of wine or nice bourbon like that those are those are my things again in moderation and and i think self-control is important
0: yeah all right thank you so much andrew i'll go look up this diet i really also enjoyed learning about your building and thank you for
1: sharing more about
0: your dad and
1: what growing up
0: and just aspects of you this was great
1: Absolutely. Jennifer, thank you for having me on. And um, shout out to everyone listening to this. Go be the best you.
0: Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you like what you hear, leave a review and share.